Understanding Rural Dane County is the topic of this next hour. This talk is a follow-up to a presentation given by Kathleen Kramer, who wrote the book Politics of Resentment, Rural Consciousness in Wisconsin, and the Rise of Scott Walker. The League of Women Voters of Dane County wanted to learn how towns and county governments work together, the challenges faced by rural school districts, and how Dane County zoning affects growth in neighboring towns and cities. There are study materials and a PowerPoint presentation to follow along at the League's website at lwvdanecounty.org. The talk took place on September 6, 2017 at the Capital Lakes Retirement Community in Madison. But first, we hear from Brooke Soldvet, chair of the League, who introduces the speakers. A year ago, we had uh, Kathy Kramer as our speaker, and she started to make many people in Wisconsin aware of the, of the huge split between uh, us and them, the cities and the, and the rural areas. And so we thought it would be good for us to get to know a little bit more about rural Dane County. Nikki Jones has been a resident of the town of Cross Plains for 17 years. She served on the Dane County Board, representing District 28, since September of 2015. District 28 is the northwest corner of the, the county, and it's primarily rural, so she can really relate to those issues of rural living. Nikki serves on the executive committee of the county board. She's secretary for the Environment, Agriculture, and Natural Resources Committee. She also serves on the Environmental Council, the Healthy Farms, Healthy Lakes Task Force. Our second speaker will be Barbara Feeney. Uh, Barb's a member of the Dane County League, and she has served on the Oregon School Board since 2014. Her background is in transportation policy, planning, and project management, working for the state of Wisconsin and in the private sector. And uh, Mark Hazelbaker represents many rural towns as an attorney in private practice. He's represented the Dane County Towns Association for 22 years. He has been a county corporation council for more than 20 years and was the administrative coordinator of Manitowoc County. As you've heard, I'm Nikki Jones. I represent District 28. And the part that I represent is mainly rural. So I have uh, six towns and four villages in the western part of Dane County. And um, the thing that I think is most important for you to know, in our towns, whereas the villages and the cities the towns are governed by people that live and reside in the towns, but there's a, a, a very strong uh, bond between Dane County and our towns. They work hand in glove together for a, a lot of the things that they need. There are 37 Dane County representatives with great responsibility placed on the representatives that are in more rural areas, and tonight I'm going to talk to you about three areas that seem to be rather important in our rural areas of Dane County. That would be health and human need, because people that do live in those areas would like to age in place. Uh, infrastructure, our roads are very important because we don't have public transportation that comes out to those areas, and so Dane County does a lot to provide infrastructure to the rural parts of the county. And then land use. This is probably one of the most important topics in rural Dane County, and it's a part that the people that in, live in a more rural area um, find very important to them because a lot of them are large landowners. I was going to give you a little bit of uh, some history about Dane County, and you may know this already, but I'm going to go over it anyway for those of you who possibly don't. We are 1,200 square miles. We're the eighth largest county in the state in land out of the 72 counties statewide. There are 61 local units of government, 33 of those are towns, and 28 are cities and villages. And historically, we are adding more people per year in Dane County than any other town, village, and city in the state of Wisconsin. We add about five to 6,000 people annually. That would be like adding the village of Cottage Grove every year. So just to give you an idea of, of how fast and, and um, how fast we're growing. Um, but this comes with some issues, right? Because there are many sensitive and significant natural resources in Dane County, and so there's a real push-pull in not only our urban areas, but in our more rural areas. 
So Dane County is among the top 15 counties in the nation with the most productive agricultural soil and also the most intense development pressure. Let's talk a little bit about health and human services to start with because this is something that's very near and dear to my heart. I see a lot of people in the area which I represent that are, I would call them historic families. They've been in the area for three generations and you know those names when you live in a, in a town like I do. There are a couple of names and you see them over and over again and they're the people that run the hardware store and they run the grocery store and they want to stay and, and age in place. So our senior centers are extremely important in the more rural areas of Dane County. They provide um, a place to congregate, they provide meals, they provide doctor's visits, and this is, this is very important, but the thing that you need to know is that Dane County only gives a certain amount of money to these services, to these senior centers. And so the rest of that is made up with funds that they get from the villages and from the towns and from fundraising and grants. In addition to that, uh, just like I believe that rural electrification was something that was incredibly important, I think broadband is extremely important. This is a hot topic. It's a hot topic in Wisconsin. And broadband um, is, is integral and key in keeping these people who want to age in place, being able to talk with their family members that are now moving more than we, than we ever have in the past, right? Our kids are moving to California or Wyoming, and so a good way for us to keep in touch with them and to keep learning. There are so many people that want to do adult education. Our farmers are relying heavily on broadband and running their fields and their crops and figuring out where they need to apply more water, apply more manure, and all of this is being done because of broadband. But it's such a hard thing to say that Dane County is the fastest growing county on one hand, and then to say, oh, and by the way, don't forget about us because we're very rural and we need broadband access. In 2016, Wisconsin was number 49 out of 50 states for broadband and for rural broadband access. And when we think of broadband, we many times don't think of Dane County. We're thinking of Clam Lake, right? That's rural to us. That's, that's someplace else in Wisconsin. But we're making strides, and there are some towns that are getting broadband access in Dane County, but it's slow. But it's something that we're working on and, and in a very important part. And then the last thing are our schools. In our rural areas, some of our schools, uh, you know, it's, it's extremely tight what their budgets are and, and how they have to run their schools. And with falling, in some cases, falling enrollment rates, we've had to think creatively. We've done a few things. Um, if you can imagine, if you're a kid that's growing up in a more rural area, when I was in school, um, driver's ed was a part of the curriculum. And now it's at least $500. So uh, in, what we've done is we've created some scholarship funds. And it was started in the more urban areas, and now we've, um, sp I would say, sprawled. We've gone out to the more rural areas because driving is so important in a rural area. You don't have access to public transportation. And another way that we've helped to partner with our schools is uh, this example which occurred in my district. Wisconsin Heights is a very small school in Mazomany, and they partnered with uh, the Middleton Cross Plains, which is a very large school district in Dane County. And we've done this um, thing with uh, building bridges. So what they did was partner with Dane County to go through this program to help their children. You can see 72% of Wisconsin Heights children receive special education for emotional and behavioral health concerns. And the Middleton Cross Plains School District had about 1,200 students receiving free and reduced lunch. And just over a third of Wisconsin Heights students did the same, received free and reduced lunch. 
So, um, so what we were able to do to partner with the schools because budgets are tighter is we were able to provide social services. And this was a great success. And now we've taken this model, and I believe this year Mount Horeb School District is going to be doing this, and Verona School District may have been the first one. But uh, six months later, post-service follow-up showed that 76% of these families were connected to behavioral health services during Building Bridges program, and they continued. So these kids are able to get the help that they need, and Dane County is able to provide services to our schools in order to, to get them the help that they need. This may seem like a little thing to all of you who live in a more urban area, but county highway improvement is big in rural Dane County. It is necessary. We are all car drivers out in the rural area. We can't hop on a bike trail. Although we're doing great things with bike trails in Dane County better than any other county that I've seen in Wisconsin. Um, you can see that our highway construction budget in 2008 was just shy of $3 million. And in 2017, it's just shy of $19 million. So we need to do a lot of things in order to keep the snow removed, in order to have access. And um, this, is, this is quite quite important in a rural area. And then something, again, that I think that we don't always think about, but that I wanted to bring to your attention is our park system. So if, if I say to you that we're growing and we're the fastest growing county in Wisconsin, and then I say, oh, we have these beautiful natural resources and these gorgeous parks, and we have 12,000 acres of land throughout Dane County, most of these properties are located within towns. And so we have the, the Parks and Open Space Plan, which is being revamped right now, and we do this every so many years. It's incredibly important for people who live in towns to, uh, to then be a, an active participant in saying how it is that they would like to see our park system go. Uh, the main focus of our parks is to protect the lakes, the rivers, and the streams, including the shoreland and wetland. And we are a county that is surrounded by water. So what happens in our more rural areas trickles into our more urban areas. And uh, we do a lot with erosion control and stormwater. The quality of the water that runs off the land, whether it be due to construction, urban or rural areas, including farm. Uh, we do a lot in order to meet those needs, and the system is very flexible. So what we're doing in Dane County is uh, very progressive. And in the rural areas, we have seen some of these beautiful streams, which are great fishing streams and bring in tourism to our area. They've come off of impaired waters lists. So the streams are getting better due to the things that we're doing on our agricultural land. And, but all of this, uh, I would say, goes right into land use, which is probably one of the most important issues of rural people living in this county. So you can see that land use, uh, we work closely, as I said to you before, if you live in a town, you uh, have people that are, are running your town that you elect into office, but they work hand in glove with the county. And they do um, all aspects of administering and enforcing zoning and division and subdivision of related regulations within the town. They enforce farmland preservation and all aspects of preparing, reviewing, and amending these different laws. Now, most recently in 2016, Act 178 was put into place, and it was initiated at the Dane County Towns Association, and it only affects Dane County. So it's something, it was a way for towns to take better control or more control of what it is that they do with their land. So they'll be doing uh, something more independent than working with uh, with Dane County. This opportunity occurs every three years, and of the 33 towns, six have opted out as of January 1 of 2018. Now, the things that will still be handled 
by Dane County will be rural address assignment, road name, mineral extraction, sanitary permits, erosion control, stormwater, and things such as shoreland, floodplain, and wetlands. And that just makes sense. I mean, for emergency medical services, that needs to be at the level of the county. So if you had something that had happened, you would be able to get in touch and get to the people that need the help. You are listening to Understanding Rural Dane County, sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. We're hearing how towns and county governments work together, the challenges faced by rural school districts, and how Dane County zoning affects growth in neighboring towns and cities. I was going to say here that the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, and I really like that statement. As I told you earlier that I sit on the Chapter 10 rewrite of Dane County zoning, and uh, we have not rewritten our zoning in a very long time. It was long overdue. And I, uh, we just finished the rewrite, and what I have heard from numerous people that live in the towns, they were happy with the few things that we've decided to change, and it has freed up some uh, land uses for many of the people that reside in our towns. And um, I was just going to give you a few statistics. Historically, fewer than 1% of the zoning petitions were denied, and uh, greater it, it's just a greater intergovernmental communication, cooperation, and coordination. Focusing on current rural living in Dane County in 2017-2018, I was going to say that I've talked about uh, many things that are contradictory, right? So a lot of things are that we're facing at this time, we have a lot of competing demands and supporting smart growth, preserving our agricultural heritage, developing economies of scale and balancing environmentally protected land use is, is uh, something that, that we face. We face in, in the rural part of our county. These competing issues require Dane County to improve their tax base. We need to modernize our systems and reach forward in effective forward planning to maximize our future together. So thank you again. Our next speaker is Barb Feeney. She's on the Oregon School District Board of Education. Happy to be here to be able to talk with you about some of the challenges in smaller rural school districts uh, in Dane County and around the state. I want to just tell you a little story about why I'm here. A few months ago, I went to a Joint Finance Committee hearing in Platteville. There were a number of us who went from the Oregon area to give testimony on the issue of uh, funding for education. It happens that right before that, I had finished reading The Politics of Resentment by Kathleen Kramer, which was a sobering look at the real and perceived differences between the rural parts of our state and the urban parts of our state. It's not a cheerful story, but it's very instructive. And what was left with me is that as a state, we've lost a sense of shared purpose and shared destiny. And that's a huge concern. But I went uh, to the joint finance hearing um, and the gist of my testimony was that getting a good education should not be an accident of birth or geography. There's no easy solution to the economic problems that are found in rural parts of the state, particularly in northern Wisconsin. But we all know that education is a critical component for individuals, no matter where they live. So I went to joint finance with this on my mind. And I was talking as a member from a small school district that deals with funding concerns. But I was also talking as a resident of our state, very concerned about the division that has been formed and how that division has been exploited. Um, in your packet, uh, there was, there's a short summary of the fair funding for school proposal by the Department of Public Instruction Superintendent, Tony Evers. Um, 
my only point of this is uh, this fair funding proposal is that it's very similar to what was on my mind, and that is that geography should not be destiny when it comes to our kids. Money can't solve everything, but it's certainly important. And I'll just note, most of you know this, I'm sure that Tony Evers is independently elected and thus can be an independent advocate for schools. But the funding still is provided by our legislature and the governor. Oregon and Dane County are not typical of um, rural school districts around the state. We benefit from being close to the employment center of Madison. Uh, and that's fantastic, but it means whatever struggles we have, they're um, not always typical of what's happening in other areas of the state. One thing I'm just going to talk about briefly, and then it'll come back again, is that um, enrollment in school districts affects the amount of state aid. On the sur surface, this seems logical and perhaps even fair, but it's not a sufficient criteria. Our funding formula is broken, but one of the issues with smaller rural school districts is that they don't have the economies of scale that larger school districts have. Uh, for example, there are some costs that can be spread over a larger number of students in a larger school district. There are fixed costs like, for example, the technology director or the director of food service. Those kinds of positions can be spread over a larger number of students, whereas those costs are borne by a smaller number of students uh, in the smaller districts. Personnel in smaller school districts often have to play multiple roles, so it's a challenge finding folks who are willing and able to, to play multiple roles. And then there's the issue of transportation uh, in rural school districts. It's a big expense. Uh, the goal is always to try to keep the bus rides and the wait times from becoming too long. We're dealing that with that even in Oregon, um, trying to figure out how to shorten the wait times and the bus times because this inevitably affects school performance. Kids are getting out of bed too early. They're getting out of the door before they've had um, breakfast or felt ready to eat breakfast. Then they're spending long rides on the bus and spending wait times at the school while the bus goes and makes another run and goes to pick up more kids. So it eats into quality time for families, and it really does have an effect on school performance. Um, there are a few uh, aspects of this funding formula that try to account for these differences. You might hear about something called sparsity aid and it's what you would expect. It's uh, additional aid that goes for very rural school districts with a smaller number of students spread over a larger area. Uh, the governor's proposal had increased sparsity aid, but the last I heard, the legislature was not going for that. Um, transportation aid, there is some special additional aid for high-cost districts in uh, Dane County, the one district that gets uh, additional high-cost transportation aid is Wisconsin Heights. But the rest of the school districts that are busing kids uh, certainly have expenses that we struggle with uh, dealing with. You are listening to Understanding Rural Dane County, sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. We're hearing how towns and county governments work together, the challenges faced by rural school districts, and how Dane County zoning affects growth in neighboring towns and cities. Given that background, there are a couple of two specific things I want to talk with you about. One is the issue of poverty in rural areas. Your packet of material included a couple of maps, and the details on those maps aren't real important, but um, you notice as you look at those maps that the difference between 2003 and 2013 is striking. 
in the number of districts that are have higher poverty levels. Um, and to me, it was shocking to see how that changed in the last 10 years. Of course, uh, number of students on free and reduced lunch is a measure of family income. At this time, essentially the northern half of our state and a good portion of the central part of our state have 40% or more children on free and reduced lunch. Now this has two implications. Number one, there are low-income families that have special needs and challenges that affect the ability of children to be successful. So that puts additional stress on school districts to try to address the issues that kids come to school with, including hunger. Even in Oregon, Wisconsin, we have a group that is raising additional funds to provide extra snacks for kids so they can get through the day because they are hungry. The other thing about this, though, is that the free and reduced lunch rates reflect the ability of the community to provide financial support for schools. And uh, right now, with approximately 48% of funding coming from local, the local property tax base, this is a big concern when you have a large portion of the state where there's a lot of economic challenge. And to, in my mind, the politics of resentment is very much related to economic stress around the state. And people exploiting people's frustration and even fear about being able to support their families or live their lives out in comfort and security. So um, poverty is definitely an issue to be uh, concerned about. There is poverty in urban areas. And in my mind, I have to say, I've always imagined when I think of free and reduced lunch I've always thought of it as more fo focused in the urban areas, but in fact, there's a lot of it out there in some very rural counties. The second point I wanted to talk about is that um, enrollment is um, a, um, a large factor in how, how schools are funded. The revenue limits, which you'll be hearing a lot about next, next month, and funding are tied to enrollment. In Dane County, Wisconsin Heights and McFarland had enrollment declines of greater than 1%. Um, others increased by more than 1%. Other counties are shown as neutral, although even, for example, in Oregon, which is shown as having a neutral change in enrollment, we have had small increases in enrollment. And those small increases have allowed us to hire that extra teacher or hire that uh, social uh, psychologist. So likewise, those school districts that are experiencing small changes in enrollment, those small changes can be enough to really provide a challenge to school districts to provide the services they think their students need. Right now, um, amazingly, two-thirds of the school districts in the state have declining enrollment. And there's a lot of overlap between the areas with the economic challenges as represented by free and reduced lunches and areas with declining enrollment. So it's uh, a double whammy to some extent. Um, I want to just give you an example of the enrollment issue challenges, the, um, the challenges of differential funding. In Oregon last year, we were fortunate to be able to pass a school ref a referendum that allowed us to increase teacher compensation, which, by the way, has been frozen. We're in a position now where teachers who start in their career now will never see a chance to move up the economic ladder, except for very small changes. No matter how much their skills grow, they will be stuck at entry-level pay. And that's something we wanted to address in Oregon. And we were fortunate to have the support of the community to do this. But of course, again, 
we're a relatively prosperous community, even though we're small. Uh, our gain is the loss somewhere else because now we can compete for the best teachers in Oregon because we have one of the best pay plans around the state. But those areas of the state that are struggling with poverty, low property values, and declining enrollment are having trouble competing with places like Oregon that can afford to increase teacher pay. So um, that is a real concern. And um, there's no easy answer to that, except that um, school funding matters a great deal. And it, to me, it matters to where we're going within this state. There are a lot of reasons for people to feel resentful in some parts of the state, of people in other parts of the state. But at the very least, we should be able to say all our kids are getting a great education. And I really encourage you to um, become an advocate, not only in Dane County, but become a well-informed advocate so you can talk with other people in other parts of the state of why fixing this fund, uh, funding formula is so important to kids all over our state and for our state as a whole. Thank you. Our final speaker is Mark Hazelbaker, the attorney representing Dane County Towns Association. Let me say at the outset that my presentation tonight reflects my own opinion. Um, it's based on my experience working with the Dane County Towns Association and indeed my entire career, but please, the opinions I'm going to express are my own personal opinions, and although they may coincide with the Towns Association, they may not necessarily coincide with them. Um, I've been doing work in land use and local government for a very long time now. I graduated from law school in December of 1982. I was hired by the Wisconsin Counties Association in August 1983 as their legal counsel, started traveling all over Wisconsin for the next three years. After that, I went up to Manitowoc County. I, I like to mention hastily that since the, uh, the Making of a Murderer program came out a couple years ago, I was up there after the first Avery conviction and I left before the second one. I also know all those people on the Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department in the program, and let me assure you, they're, they're good people and none of them are smart enough to have planted all that evidence. I don't, think, I don't think anybody is. Um, I came back to Madison in 1992 and I entered private practice, which is what I've been doing ever since. In December of 1994, the Dane County Towns Association decided that they were interested in trying to upgrade the level of their advocacy, so they hired me to be their attorney. And I've been doing that for a very modest retainer for the past 22 years. Last year, in May, I told the association's board that after 22 years, I was ready to move on. I'm not retiring from private practice by any means, but I want to do different things with my time. Told them to find another lawyer, and they've been working on that. They haven't done so yet. Um, I also spent two years working as a half-time assistant for the county executive in Dane County when Jonathan Berry was county executive back in 1981. So in the time that I've been out there, I've been all around Wisconsin. I represent rural towns and rural counties. I've, I've been in every county in Wisconsin, some cases many, many times. I've represented many rural counties and many rural communities. I've done an awful lot of work in rural Dane County. And I guess the following observations are a mix of both some factual information and some personal observations that are based on that experience. One of the big issues we've talked about over the past 30 years is the broad issue of rural growth and development. And I guess I, I, another thing I did that I didn't mention is my first job in law school was I was a research assistant at UW Extension. And the very first project that I worked on with Dick Lehman, who many of you know, who's a, a, the, one of the land use gods in Wisconsin, great, great man, great human being, we worked on implementing the farmland preservation program. We wrote ordinances for counties, went out and did educational programming. That was a big concern back then, and it still is a big concern, the role of farming in our Wisconsin economy. It's been a big concern in Dane County. Uh, there's been an enormous amount of pressure to reduce rural growth in Dane County. 
And I have a theory that the unintended consequences of policies are almost always as significant as the intended, if not more, and I think this area is one where that bears it out. Um, well, we, we, we adopted uh, the Farmland Preservation Program in the late 1970s. It, the law was authorized in 1977, and the counties started adopting the law in 1979 to 1980. The last town in Dane County opted into county zoning in 1982. It is true that the growth rate of Dane County towns actually did reach 20% in a decade, but that was in the 1970s when towns grew by 20.3%. Um, that was by far the peak period for towns in Dane County. Um, more recently, in the 1980s, growth switched from the towns to the villages and the cities. Actually, if you look at growth during the period, as we'll see, the villages in Dane County have been where the percentage change has been, although the absolute growth in total, dollar, total uh, population has been largest in Madison because it had such a large population to begin with. From 2000 to 2006, which is fairly recently, the town's growth rate slid to 3.9%. Villages grew by 14%, cities by 9.2%. If you look at the overall period from 1970-2006, the county grew 66%, the towns grew 49%, the villages grew 174%, and the cities grew 49%. When I, when I tell you about the villages, if you think about Cottage Grove, remember Cottage Grove, once just an intersection? Now look at it, you know. Most of the growth in towns happened before 1990, and yet, during the 1990s and the 2000s, an awful lot of attention, in fact, the central issue in growth, in growth and development and land use planning in Dane County was on the alleged need to control rural growth and development. Okay, well, we more than succeeded. Um, in, in fact, since 1995 of the 34 towns in Dane County when I did this, there were still 34 towns. There are now 33 because uh, Windsor became a village. Five of them actually lost population. Twelve additional towns gained only 300 or fewer. Uh, there were 10,664 additional town residents, and 5,700 of that 10,600 came in just four urban towns, Bristol, Middleton, Westport, and Windsor. So um, that growth, and that growth was largely on subdivision lots. By slowing, so we did a lot. We, we actually made some extreme changes in the pace of growth in Dane County. There are many towns that will not do subdivisions, that will not grow at all. Um, there has been an enormous change. Kathy Falk called for a 50% reduction in rural growth. We've more than achieved that. It's probably upwards of 85% since 1997. The question I'm going to ask you is, by doing that, did we stop rural sprawl? And I'll, the answer is, no, we didn't. Actually, we made sprawl worse, and I'll show you why. Now, people are very clever, and I put an example of how this, how this is true up here on the uh, screen. It so happened many years ago that the city of New York raised the price of a subway token pretty dramatically, and some smart guy figured out that a Connecticut tollway token would work in the New York City subways. <laughs> and there was a land rush on Connecticut subway tokens for about a year until the city changed its tokens. And they were mad. They were complaining. The Connecticut was happy. They were selling hundreds of thousands of tokens that people never redeemed. So people are very clever. They've, they will find a way to get what they want. And in this case, what they want is inexpensive housing, uh, many cases in the country. Well, what did they do? They bought houses in the country. They just went much farther out to do it. If you look at the growth rate of adjacent town pairs uh, out in the periphery of Dane County, you'll see what I mean. Um, during 1970 to 1980, the town population growth in Dane County was 20.3%. You'll see that it was pretty strong in Jefferson and Columbia County negative in Iowa County, which has not had a particularly robust economy during that period of time. You look into the future, and you'll see that 
By contrast, during the 80s, everybody had hard times because of the recession. And then um, after the farm crisis ended, when people were losing population in the periphery, uh, the growth rate in the surrounding counties actually started to rebound. Um, the kind of rural growth we have in Dane County also changed. Instead of having subdivision growth, we now started having growth on isolated scattered lots because we have a rule of one per 35. The premise of that back in 1979 was nobody will buy 35 acres of land to buy a house. Well, unfortunately, it proved all too easy to buy 35 acres of land to build a house. So what wound up happening is people started buying up 40s to have a house. And by the way, that also is an important point. If you look at this picture, you'll see that although there is a house on that property, most of that land is still being farmed. But that entire parcel is enumerated as having been converted out of farming. So that makes a big difference on how the statistics work. You're listening to Understanding Rural Dane County, sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. We're hearing how towns and county governments work together, the challenges faced by rural school districts, and how Dane County zoning affects growth in neighboring towns and cities. People who could, couldn't afford to buy 35 acres just moved out further from Madison to get their rural home site. If you've been to the town of Exeter in Greene County or Union in Rock County, you'll see what I mean. The peripheral growth started exploding in our neighboring counties. Um, and it became, like if you look at Greene County's numbers from 95 to 2000, 16.6%. I represent the town of New Glarus. Um, and I, I also have done work with our neighboring counties. Everybody in every county around Dane County knows, as a matter of fact, that Dane County's growth policies pushed people into the adjacent counties. I still have trouble persuading policymakers in Dane County to believe that. Um, our growth in Dane County is lower than all but one of our surrounding counties. Rural growth just hasn't changed and our policies have actually pushed growth farther out. How do we see this? Well, we see this, if nowhere else, by the change in commuting patterns. You look at Rock County, for example, 8,715 people drive from Rock County into Madison every day. Only 1,900 people drive back the other way. Columbia County, it's 10,000 in, 1,700 out. I've done the math. The value of the payroll that leaves Dane County is more than a billion dollars a year. Land is for sale in those other counties. They don't have the same restrictions that we do here. People are free and they're going to vote with their feet. Um, it also has an impact on some of the environmental issues. If somebody lives on a rural lot in Exeter, which is south of the Dane County line in Greene County, as something like 2,700 people do, they generate 9,600 pounds a year of carbon dioxide with their commute. If they did that same commute from Springfield, they'd generate 4,100 pounds. Now you multiply that differential by the number of people who are commuting, and it's a pretty significant impact. This is Exeter. Do you see the subdivisions there in the country? Those couldn't be built in, in Dane County because we don't believe in subdivision development. We've done a good job of stopping it, except only in Dane County. Albion is the same way. Um, the, the town of Fulton, which is on the edge of Edgerton in Rock County. The town of Fulton has more people than the city of Edgerton, all on rural septic systems. Christiana and Oakland town in Jefferson County. What this tells you, though, is the change in population versus the change in commutes. The population of the counties surrounding Dane County from the time period of 1990 to 2010, went up 20%, okay? The number of commuters went up uh, into Dane County went up 140%, seven times as much. You can't help but conclude that that growth is being fueled by commuters. So where is the sprawl that's consuming all the farmland in Dane County? Well, it's not happening in our towns anymore. The towns haven't been growing for many years. It's happening from the cities. This is the comprehensive plan for the city of Madison as they're now forecasting it. The city of Madison intends officially now 
to grow from Highway N in the town of Sun Prairie all the way to Pioneer Road um, at the edge of the town of Cross Plains, 23 miles in width. Now, I don't mind growth. I think urban growth is important. I'm not against it at all. In fact, I regularly speak out in favor of density because it does relieve pressure on our rural areas. But um, I'm worried about the fact that consistently I see a lot of opposition to infill development within the city. When the Sequoia Commons project went up on Midvale Boulevard near where I live, people showed up at hearings and acted as if it was going to cause the apocalypse. And it, as a result, it was reduced in size from five to three stories. Now people are uh, listing their houses and citing that in their listings near the Sequoia Commons. You know. <laughs> the consumer of farmland in Dane County is no longer rural residential growth, if it ever was. It's bad development, folks. And this is a good example of what I call bad development. This is no insult to the Blackhawk Free Church. They've, they had to find the land that they did, but it's three and a half miles, I'm sorry, one and a half miles west of the Beltline. And they, they went all that distance out and they built something that's three stories tall. That doesn't make any sense. I know that the city eventually plans to grow out to that, but they're building everything two or three stories tall to get there. That's just a waste of land, in my opinion. So what's the answer? Well, we have to start working together. We need to talk to our neighboring counties. And we need to get some, we need to think economically about how we use land. One of the premises that we had in the 1970s about rural farmland was that uh, we had to hold on to it because if not, we were going to starve. Okay? We can't keep converting farmland because we're going to starve. Well, what are the facts about that? What we have here is a, these are statistics from the 2012 National Agricultural Census, and these pertain to Wisconsin. And this, this statistic tells us that out of the 35.9 million acres in the state of Wisconsin, between 1982 and 2012, 508,000 acres were converted from agriculture to development. Some of that still stayed in farming, but it's a half a million acres. What impact did that have on agriculture production? Even though we lost 500,000 acres of land to production, corn went up from 330 million bushels to 397 bushels. We went from 10.6 million bushels of soybeans to 67 million. We went from 23.1 billion pounds of milk to 30 billion pounds of milk. So more efficient farming more than made up for it. You are listening to Understanding Rural Dane County, sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. We're hearing how towns and county governments work together, the challenges faced by rural school districts, and how Dane County zoning affects growth in neighboring towns and cities. This is a big impact. Rural communities are hurting. Dane County is behind the rest of the state, but it will catch up to us. I was up doing work for the town of Three Lakes in Oneida County a couple years ago, heard that a beautiful high school that they spent millions of dollars to build, to build in 1993 is almost empty. Their class sizes are down, their total enrollment is down below 100. You know, the profound effects of our rural policies are going to come back to haunt us. I'm going to close by... First of all, I want to also say that I think Nikki deserves an awful lot of credit, and as do all of our other local officials, for tackling these tough issues on an almost volunteer basis. The money doesn't even begin to compensate you. Thank you. We've got a lot to deal with. How do we start resolving some of these issues? Well, this may sound odd to you because I spent a lot of effort over the last two years fighting to have zoning authority devolve back to the towns, and I believe very strongly that the towns should have the option of doing their own zoning. All of the communities in Dane County lack an effective way of working together and in turn of really being told to work together. Um, you see things happening such like the Madison School District getting poorer and poorer and having more and more tough, ch challenging uh, educational responsibilities. 
at a point in time when the village of Wanakee will not build apartments. They literally will not build apartments because they don't want apartment-type people. Okay? Um, you see this all over the place. Economic inequality is being enhanced by the kinds of land use regulations that we are doing. I see only one way out for our county. This is my personal view, and that is that all of the communities need to exercise control over their local decision-making, but they need to have an umbrella that will knock heads and in some cases impose solutions. And my model for that, although I wouldn't, perfect, I wouldn't necessarily adopt it intact, is the Metro Council for the Twin Cities. And if you study that, you'll find out that they made some tough choices. They gave a coordinating body that oversees the region the power to oversee land use plans, to impose transportation plans, to allocate housing responsibilities, to coordinate health care on this Metro Council. I don't have the final shape of how this can work or would work for Dane County because it would have to be negotiated at great length. But I do know that we, we will never find the path toward optimizing our future economically and socially through our current system. It's too fragmented. It has too many competing interests. We need to have a body designated that can focus on studying these issues and then implementing something. I spent a lot of time working on this, and I've concluded based on that that we can do better. It's a beautiful county. It's a beautiful area. The rural areas of our county contribute an awful lot of value to the, what kind of a community we are, and we can do more for it. So thank you for your attention. You've been listening to Understanding Rural Dane County, sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. The talk took place on September 6, 2017, at the Capitol Lakes Retirement Community in Madison. The speakers were Nikki Jones, Dane County Board Supervisor for District 28, which is located at the northwest corner of Dane County, Barb Feeney, she's on the Oregon School District Board of Education, and Mark Hazelbaker, attorney representing the Dane County Towns Associations. The talk took place on September 6, 2017, at the Capital Lakes Retirement Community in Madison. To find out what else the league is up to, go to their website at lwvdanecounty.org. The views expressed here are those of the speakers, and not necessarily those of the League of Women Voters of Dane County. Permission to rebroadcast this podcast is granted if credit is given to the League of Women Voters of Dane County and any editing does not alter the speaker's meaning.